Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to this next episode in the Basketball Connections podcast. Basketball Connections is an international organization that was founded by FIBA expert and NBA scout coach Terry Layton. Basketball Connections is a great way for coaches and players to connect all across the globe, and we're excited about these next episodes to come. Coach Layton has got some great lessons in basketball that will help you improve as a coach, and so I'm going to hand it over to Coach Terry Layton, and we're going to get started. Thanks again for listening. Coach Layton. I want to welcome everybody back to Basketball Connections Podcast. We've done quite the issues now with it. So Chuck, how's everything in your part of the world? going fantastic. We just had a new election in Malaysia, and uh, for the first time in the history of the country, a different party won the election, so a lot of exciting things coming up from Malaysia. That's great. Well, here, you know, we passed the March Madness, and we're the NBA Madness. So we're watching all the NBA playoff games. I think it's a whole different kind of coaching when you're playing a seven-game series. And I think there are some coaches that have been pretty good when they come in and can, you want to, you don't have a good time to prepare for them for one or two games. But in seven, you really got to look at it a little different in terms of how you're adjusting to what's going on. And some guys are better than others at adjustments and plan guys. Um, we had, I'm watching the Celtics a few minutes ago, the kid McConnell played on a little guy looks like he ought to be a manager in the NBA, and he had a tremendous night. And he started the night. I mean, he was an impactful player. And right now, I think Boston only had four players returning from a year ago. And man, they're getting Rozier and a bunch of those guys. They're getting a lot of good basketball out of those guys. Uh, Ricky Rubio had a tremendous game before he got hurt the first night with with the Jazz. And then he got hurt. They were down three or four guys and still compete. I think he's a pretty good coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, coach there, and I think Coach Boss is very good. The one that shocked me today was I thought the guy had a great year with the Raptors. And it looks like he's going to get fired tomorrow. And he was named Coach of the Year today. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, named Coach of the Year, and then they're going to fire the guy because they haven't got past you know, Cleveland in the last couple of years. Right. And I, I thought Casey's done a very good job. And that's also showing up, for example, uh, with Fitz. Hmm. He got fired quick here with uh, Memphis, and people realized the guy was a good coach. So he got picked up with uh, with New York, which is interesting. I think he's a good coach, too. Somebody said something to me today. Now, I want you to react to this. And this was a guy, he's on Van Gundy's staff, that Van Gundy got fired from from, uh, Detroit. And he Mm -hmm. just said, there's a new look for coaches in the NBA. We used to get the Bobby Knight style guy, yeller and screamer. But now they're looking for young buck guys that understand analytics, what's going on, that their friendship relationship with the players is vital. But if you look at all the guys that are in the running for these jobs, it's a different kind of guy. Messina has not got a job yet. He's got to be one of the best five coaches in the world. Mm. And he's not getting the job yet. I mean, he's a very, very good coach mentally. But he's older, old school type coach. 
What do you, what do you think of that thought? I see that uh, on all levels of the coaching and uh, at the lower levels too, I've seen coaches that, that have the old um, first dimensional style of coaching uh, just, just aren't as impactful on the players as, as they once were. And, um, you know, the NBA has a, has a lot of young players, uh, who come from the, the generation IY and, um, who, who just don't, who haven't grown up in, in that kind of intense, um, environment and, uh, and don't really relate to that anymore. And there is a lot of emphasis on um, the science and analytics behind behind all sports, not just not just basketball, um, all sports, and and so it's interesting to see that kind of thinking taking a, a huge role. And um, it's I think it's one of those things that if if you're not willing to change with the times, then uh, it's going to be tough for you to continue. Well, I think if you do a study in the last five to ten years. And look at the average age of players got on your team at the NBA level. I mean, we're getting excited about a, a kid as a freshman out of college to come be the key guy in our NBA team. The mm-hmm. player right now is playing for uh, uh, Utah. Their mm-hmm. best player is a rookie. I mean, he's a really good player. Yep. But I, I, I think we studied the age. And the maturity of the guys with it. And now, if this pr- proposal comes through, we may be allowing high school seniors to get go right to the NBA instead of the one and done. Hmm. That's one of the proposals. I do like that the idea they're trying to equate it with some of the baseball rules, that you could put your name in the draft as long as you don't sign a professional contract, you can go on. Hmm. Uh, I like that a little better than what we're doing right now. Right. But I just think the age factor of players and the coach being a younger guy too, he's become key. And so if you're an older coach, your younger guys are your communicators to your many of your players where you just can't communicate with them anymore. Right. Yes, we definitely uh, live in a different age of being able to relate. It's, it's a relationship-based style of coaching nowadays and uh and so if you if you can't build that trust then the modern players will just shut you out and uh and the more that the more intense you are with them to try to get them to listen the more resistance resistant they become yeah i i had a, we watched a game this week with hank egan former assistant nba coach and air force head coach with and i asked him some of the degrees going on and i said you coach Shaq. What was important about Shaq? What, what did he do really good? And he said, here's his statement. He goes, Shaq was one of the best all-time teammates ever. He was a tremendous teammate just with his humor and his fun. And yeah, I thought that was an interesting comment. Just, you know, and he's doing great with commercials now. I mean, he's funny on the program, on the TNT program and funny on that. And I... I've had one other guy tell me the same thing that if he was recruiting now in the college at the college level, that he would look for the ability of someone to be a teammate as a vital part of his recruiting, more than maybe how good a player he is. 
And the, and that's a question that I had for you because you're you're an NBA scout, and sometimes I think about um, when when the NBA draft is coming up, and, and you travel the world, and you look for um, talent that could possibly enter into the NBA. Sometimes I I, I feel like when you're when you're looking for that it person, that superstar, um, sometimes I feel like that's that may not be what the team needs, and that may be a mistake going after a player like that. Uh, what do you, like? What do you think about that as far as choosing players, and and what's the process that you you go through as far as identifying talent? I always ask the older guys that have been scouting for a long time what they look at, and the one that comes up the most is a basketball a savvy. If they have no savvy to the game, it's hard to teach that to them. The second one will be some kind of physical basketball ability. For example, we had a kid named Yago from Brazil playing an all-star game with Nike, and he's about, we said he was 5'10", but we were lying like crazy. I mean, he's 5'7", 5'8", maybe. But he made an impact. He did a job. And for him to come in the NBA, he's got to be really good. Now, that, this is going to my next statement. They have to have one ability that they're really, really good at. In college recruiting, you look for a great overall player. An NBA, you look for a guy that has one dominant ability, and this will be not just shooting, defense, rebounding, could be being a teammate. If you watch... Horford right now with that Celtic team, he's the difference. I mean, he's the guy that's helping that team win because of his attitude, his, his training. So, uh, they've said this, uh, get a guy with a great ability in one area, then make it better. So, let's say, for example, you have a guy that's really, really good at one thing. Okay, now, we're going to find points to make him better. And they're not as concerned with the things he can't do, uh, more what he can do. And they'll say things like, what are we guaranteed to get when he comes in the game? When he comes out the bench, what are we going to get? What will happen because of him entering the game? So it's a different mentality than a college type thing. When you're looking for an all-around guy, you're looking for some great ability that they can do. Now, think in your mind right now of an NBA player that's really good at one skill. You got anybody in mind? The first person that comes to my mind is is Kyle Korver. Yeah. <clears throat> he got had a rough time in the beginning of the playoffs because his brother died. Mm-hmm. And then about two games later, he's a catch-and-shoot guy, but he's very, very good at catch-and-shoot. I think Smith tends to be the same way. Yep. Smith is a pure shooting type with it. So... Finding somebody that's really, really good. Now, guys, I've been watching with Utah. Uh, I just drew a blank on his name right now. Ingles. Hmm. If you watch him play, he's he's tough on defense. I mean, he's really nasty to play against. You don't want to be around him. He makes he makes he's a bother. Uh, the word in Spanish for bother is called molestar. To bother somebody, he bothers them. Then when he shoots that left-handed shot, really good. This combination is really great. And somebody told me this combination, this this thought. 85 to 90% of the NBA players have one to two skills. 
Anybody that has more than that, upper five to eight percent, is a superstar. But there are only five to eight percent of guys that have multi skills in multi areas. And most of them get there because of one good skill. And he says sometimes it may be leadership. It may be in the locker room kind of guy. It may be attitude. Uh, you know, I don't know. But those are some of the things that I watch for. One of my biggest compliments when I'm scouting something is I would love to coach that player. Mm. Tell me that he, he looks coachable. He looks like he's team-oriented. And I see the teamness a lot in, in Utah was showing up. Golden State showing up. Celtics is showing up. And especially uh, Cavaliers, because of uh, LeBron, because of his dominance, he shows up and they work around him with players that can do certain things. So I would go back to your original statement. I go, if he has no basketball sense, he's hard to bring in. If he has no physical ability. Now, the physical ability, you see, like Sarek, for example, with Philadelphia, He's really had a lot of good weight workout, mm-hmm. and he's really got a lot stronger. So you got to see if he's got the frame to handle the work that he needs to get done. That's that's a real good message that I, I think a lot of young players um, don't realize because a lot of the youth coaches are are um, looking at NBA players today and not seeing those details and and telling these kids that they got to have all around talent and uh, and so like they're they're becoming average in everything instead of being an expert in one or two things. And that goes back to the old John Wooden saying that it's, it's better to be an expert in a few things than to be average in, in a bunch of different things. I had a golf guy tell me one time, he says, I tried to stay with the irons till I learned how to do them. And I'm not going to the woods yet because I don't, I don't know how to do these right. right. And I just want to be really good at use of irons and putting. And then I'll go on. Yeah. And I thought that was an interesting comment. It's just, uh, I used to work with a football coach. His saying was, sometimes we get a mile long and an inch deep with our things. Yeah. And that's kind of what happens with skill development. And that's why I still have some complaints with skill development guys. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Why will that be effective? What does that make sense? Right. Yeah, the, the why is definitely so important that I, a lot of these skill coaches uh, are, are just doing a lot of generic training. I, they, they look at players like Kevin Durant and, and say, okay, well, there's, that's what it takes to be an NBA player. So you gotta, if you, it doesn't matter if you're 6'10 or, or 7 foot, you need to be able to dribble and shoot from the outside. But then you look at some players like Larry Nance Jr., who is shorter than LeBron James, but still a big impact in the in the post, a rebounding specialist. It kind of, you know, the, the, the deal as a player, let's say you're about 28 to 32 years old, you played in college, and now you're coaching high school somewhere, Well, you're playing in a city league, and all of a sudden you realize, I'm going to do the things I can do good and stay away from the things I do bad. Hmm. Just concentrate, and you become a much better player. You go, man, I wish I thought of this when I was playing, you know, the college level, but I tried to do too many things I wasn't good enough at. But And it's fun to watch a state championship in City League. I have to referee a championship in Minnesota one time way back. Man, 
They were soft. They didn't do the things they couldn't do. They just did the things they could do and tried to stay with it. Right. And kind of what we're, what we're talking about here. Uh, I, I was going to give you one other kind of thought on the NBA. I, too, really try to follow what's going on in the NBA and the difference there. So three of us that have NBA background, they ate together that night, watched a game with Cleveland and the 76ers. And I said, you know, I really focused in on what are you seeing? What's going on? And the thing I really noticed as I'm watching this series now is that catching the ball on the run and keep going, as opposed to catching, squaring up, triple threat. So I'm going to incorporate that into form four that I want you to, you know, let's say if you're hitting on the opposite top of a two-man front, that you start moving to the ball. And when you get the ball on the run, you're either going to attack there, attack back, go and shoot. But you're not going to stop and do a triple threat. Yep. Same way with the pass, kind of a shovel pass on the move pass instead of a handoff pass anymore. So they want him on a full move. Or the guard that has a mismatch that's backing up so he can go full rep at a player. Uh, as, so the whole idea that Triple threat, the rocker step, you're not seeing much of the rocker step at all. Uh, you're not seeing, you know, how we teach in the 4-4 four four, you know, just to get it and face a basketball threat. They're catching and going. They're yeah. catching and shooting. They're catching and passing. And they're on the move. And uh, I would be curious to find out from how much distance, how many steps, how much... You know, are they running five miles, eight miles, ten miles a game? I don't know. But I know they're tracking that with various devices that they're wearing. Yep. I, you know, I was thinking about that um, earlier this week, actually, uh, as I was training the, the club team here and watching a lot of NBA playoffs nowadays. That's, that's one of the things that I, I notice is that the reaction times for them making their decisions um, is so fast and, and they're analyzing the floor and the situation before the ball even reaches their hands so that they can, they can make a decision a lot quicker when the, the ball does touch their hand. And so I was thinking about that when I was training the club team is that, uh, I want them to move the ball fast. I want them to make decisions a lot quicker. And, uh, and when I, when I teach a catch and show shot, triple threat, it slows everything down. And so that's something that I've been really working on in our practices is, is learning to analyze the situation and react quicker before the ball hits your hand. If you get some Ginobili tapes, watch them very carefully. Oh, the whole movement of what we're talking about at Ginobili. Mm. He is one of the best at doing that, of catching and going, catching and passing, catching and change direction, shooting. But there's not a LeBron James... You know, one on one with it, Mickey Mouse. They, they don't do that. Right. So, so many of the players now, the better teams, are creating move, coming off a movement, going right in movement. There's not stop and stand still situation at all. Yep. And, and I yep. think it, I think of the the two players I think of off the top of my head who never stop moving on the court are JJ Redick and Kyle Korver. I think I'm going to go back and look at some Havlicek. Mm. I'm not sure that Havlicek 
wasn't doing that many years ago. It seemed watching him at the time that he never stopped moving. And he seemed like the rare exception of that with it. And Bird had a little bit of that too for a slow guy. Right. Havlicek was a little better athlete in some ways than Bird was. Right. The other one that's really noticeable, especially in the Salt Lake series uh, with Gobert and also with 76ers, is the, the drive to the basket, get help, lob for the dunk. That, you know, we've taught the two-on-one a lot, how we teach it. Well, if you have guys can jump, that just changed a whole lot. Because hmm. you're going to pass a dunk on that one. Yeah. So, again, if you're coaching girls or you're coaching small kids from Asia, that probably hasn't changed very much. But yeah. uh, you see in the NBA, you know, the other day, what did I see? Gobert, was it Gobert? No, it was a Capella. But he shoots 69% because he never shoots a shot more than about two feet from the basket. Then he blocked so many shots per game. So Gobert and Capella, you know, man. Hmm. Especially you got the two good guards from Houston, and they'll drive and just throw it up to the guy. Yeah. And if you don't, if nobody comes to block their shot, they'll go. So anyway, I, I just, that's been really noticeable. Uh, the other one I'm noticing a little bit was some of the teams, not all the teams. You know, we always try to teach put your front foot forward when you're in a triple threat position. But I'm finding some teams that are coming down, backing the ball back up, coming down with pressure. And they actually end up with their pivot foot in the front and their step foot in the back. Right. And I've been trying to watch what they've been doing as a move. And it's almost a reverse. If the guy gets on one side, they'll do a back pivot and take off. Yeah. But I see that a lot more in the NBA than other places right now. But it's with a certain kind of player, a certain kind of team. And not with the teams that are doing what we're talking about with pass, move, pass, go, tap. It's yeah. not those teams. I get it. I think the one difference is the player being really good at one thing. Yeah. A few years ago, I was coaching a Chinese Pro League, and they have an all-star series with the Korean Pro League. And they play a game in China, one in, uh, and then one in Korea. Well, man, uh, Korea is really good at just stationary or just mechanics of, it, of jump shots. Right. And create the shot. The mechanics are great. Yeah. I know we had a kid come out of the stands in a three-point shooting contest. I think he made 23 out of 25. Cold, not warmed up. Hmm. And he, that's all he could do. I don't think he dribbled, couldn't rebound, he couldn't guard anybody. But he could do one thing. Thanks again for tuning in to the Basketball Connections podcast. Basketball Connections is an international organization that was founded by world-renowned coach Terry Layton. Basketball Connections is a way for coaches all across the world to connect and to stay connected. And these podcasts are a great way to listen to coaches in other parts of the world. So we hope that you subscribe and keep listening to the Basketball Connections podcast. And we're excited about the next episodes coming up. Thanks again for listening.